0: Shalom. This is Gary Durashinsky, Congregational Leader of Beth Ariel Messianic Congregation. Thank you for downloading our message. We're delighted to make it available to you through the generous donations of our members and friends at Beth Ariel. We know that many are struggling financially. Because of the challenges facing our economy, and we do not want financial issues to keep anyone from enjoying our teachings. So please continue to listen in as often as you like. But if our presentations have been beneficial to you, and you are able to provide a financial donation to Beth Ariel, whether large or small, would you prayerfully consider sending a gift in support of our ministry? You can donate online through our website at BethAriel.org. That is spelled B E T H. A R I E L dot org. Also, please remember to pray for us that we would be responsive to the Lord's guidance as we reach out to the lost sheep of the house of Israel in the greater Los Angeles area. Thank you, and I hope you enjoy this message. He suffered and died according to the prophets in providing himself an atonement for sin. He spoke extensively of the resurrection. It's Luke that records to us one of my favorite stories of Messiah after his death and resurrection when he meets the two on the road to Emmaus. And on that road, he begins to instruct them and teach them all that the prophets, the law, and the writings taught about the coming Messiah. And here, Yeshua gave them the greatest Bible study of all time regarding messianic prophecy. And they heard these words of his. They saw him in their presence. He was fulfilling all that the law and the prophets have said. When we get to the book of Acts, Luke is continuing to teach us what Messiah did, what he taught, how he performed the miracles that he performed, and the fulfillment of messianic prophecy. But the difference now is... Whereas in the gospel, it was the entire ministry of Messiah in his incarnate state as he comes into our world and takes on human form. In the book of Acts, it's Messiah at work again, but this time through his body, the believers who now have come to believe in him and are filled by his spirit in order to perform Messiah's work in the world in which they live. So it's really two parts. The first part is what Messiah taught when he lived among us. The second part is what Messiah taught and did as he lives in and through us. And that's what I want us to grab hold of. Because Luke's account in the book of Acts does not end with chapter 28. In fact, the last chapter hasn't really been written yet. And we are part of Luke's story, although Luke has finished writing it but Messiah hasn't finished telling it. And so you and I are part of what the book of Acts is all about. In fact, it appears to me that Luke actually had intended to write a third volume. The first volume being the gospel, the second volume being what we're going to look at. The third volume I think he was about to write was what Paul would then do when he left Rome and went on to Spain where he desired to go but God wouldn't lead him that far. And the story regarding Paul ends. But the story regarding the congregation of believers through whom Messiah is at work has not ended. And you and I continue that work today. When we think about it, I like what Dan said this morning, when we think about that, it's really critical that we understand That Messiah is alive in each one of us individually, but as Paul writes in Corinthians, collectively as his temple, as his tabernacle, as his body. You are part of what Messiah is doing. And so the big question is, what part, not am I supposed to play, but what part am I playing? It is not enough for us to come and sit. It's not enough for us to come and play, although I love to play. It's not enough to come and sing. It's not enough to come and read the word. Not enough to come and pray. Those are the minimal things we ought to be doing as followers of Messiah. But there's a big world out there that Messiah wants us to penetrate. And there is a big community among us that need to have the good news presented, you and I are the means by which Messiah intends to do that. So this is serious business and a serious question to ask. What part am I playing? And to what degree am I playing it and fulfilling it? But before we look at all that, at least that's what the book of Acts tells me, before we look at all that, here's an interesting thing. Often the title to this book is the Acts of the Apostles or the leaders that Messiah had chosen. That's a title we give it. It's not a title that is given to us by Luke. As I think more and more, and as I've read over and over the book of Acts, there's only four apostles about whom we learn anything of in the book of Acts. We only learn of James, Peter, John, and Paul. That's all we learn about. So it's really not the acts of the the apostles. It's the act of some apostles. And what we might really say is, it's the activities of the Spirit of God working through his body. But principally, we see these four men and how God uses them. And so we're to learn from their example. But the introduction here... It's really neat how Paul sets this all up. Because the first thing he tells us is the faith about which we are a part. The faith that we have embraced, he tells us, first of all, is a credible faith. So that what we are believing and what we are living in light of need never be doubted or mistrusted. It is a credible faith on all fronts. Look what what Luke writes. He says that Messiah appeared to them for 40 days. He showed himself with many convincing proofs. Now, Paul, Luke is a doctor, and Luke uses all kinds of medical terms in both his gospel and the book of Acts. Two medical terms that appear is the word simeon, the plural is simie, which means signs, and the other is techmarion, which means evidences. They're different words, and doctors use them and use them for different reasons. The first word, a sign, it's like if you and I went to the doctor and we said to the doctor, you know, I'm just not feeling well, I'm not really sure what's going on, but, and he examines us. And so he looks down our throat, he listens to our chest, he hears us maybe cough, and he says, you know what, I think what you need is, and he prescribes some stuff, what he has done was he has received some of the signs, some of the semi indicators of what it is that is ailing you. That's not the word Luke uses here, could have used it, but he didn't use that word. He used the other word, "tekmarion," which means convincing proofs. If the doctor then says, you know, I want to really be certain what you have is what I think you have. So now he takes some blood work, takes some blood tests, maybe takes some x-rays, maybe an MRI. Now he's really delving into the evidences that determine exactly what is wrong. That's the word Paul uses here. He's not saying that we just took a look, we heard Yeshua from a distance, we were impressed with what he said. We examined him with regard to the word of God, with regard to what the prophets have said. And Messiah has done those specific, detailed kinds of things which are convincing proofs, not just indicators that he seems to say the right thing, seems to behave nicely. He's always in the synagogue. He's teaching the word. It's probably the Messiah. No, 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 no. They took the microscope out and they looked at him intently. And thus now what they had joined to these signs were convincing proofs that there is no doubt that he is our Savior and he is our Messiah and Lord. We may have questions about that, The kingdom of Israel is not established. I thought the Messiah was supposed to establish that kingdom. There are questions, and they raise those questions here in chapter 1. But let us not be mistaken about things. What Messiah has done is credible with regard to the messianic claims that he fulfills and that we're supposed to have been looking for. So on the one hand, our faith is a credible faith. That's important for us to remember, to reflect on, and to embrace. Not only because we're to be ready to give an answer to everyone who asks of the hope that lies within us. But when we go through trials and tribulations of all kinds, even as James said we would. Even as Yeshua said we would. In this world you will have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. They will be here. And they will not necessarily dissipate. Suzanne shared with us what happened with uh, Inga. I was going to say Ian. Inga. Death claims us. The moment we die, we are dying. And so we will go through a journey, barring the Lord's return, to that place in our lives. For some, it will be exceedingly peaceful. Peaceful. In fact, I just had read an article on Louis Zepparini. Where's Robert? Is Robert here this morning? Robert had informed me that uh, some time ago, when we were talking about all these different movies coming out, he said, Angelina Jolie is putting together the film Unbroken. My brother-in-law, a number of years ago, said, hey, Gary, you've got to read this book. And I had read, I forget her first name, Hildebrand, her first book, Sea Biscuit. and thought, this is a great book. I loved it. If you've not read that book or seen the movie, it's really wonderful depictions of that horse and that event. But then she wrote this book, "Unbroken." I had no idea what it was about, no idea where it was going. And as you read of Louis Zeparini, who just died at 97, I think 97 or something years old, what was that? 97." 97. 97. 97. Thank you. <laughs> but 97 years old. He had, he had run, or ran, or ran or runned in the uh, 1936 Olympics. And he had graduated from, I guess it was uh, Trojans, Southern Cal. USC. Thank you. See, if we were on the East Coast, I would know this stuff. I would know this stuff. But he graduated from USC. He ran in the Olympics. And then he joined the Army Air Corps in World War II, was shot down in the Pacific, Floated in a life raft with one other pilot or one other airman. Eleven others had died in that crash. He had floated for, I don't know how many days, but 2,000 miles. Somebody know how many days? 47. 47. Why don't you guys tell me the story? (laughs) But had floated for like 2,000 miles, 47 days. You know how far 2,000 miles is? That's from Jersey to like Oklahoma. Oklahoma. I mean, or a little bit beyond, right? It's 3,000 miles from Jersey to L.A. Oh, wow. <laughs> Wrong question, my friend. So from Jersey to somewhere beyond the Mississippi is 2,000 miles. I mean, that's like a long way. And then he gets captured by the Japanese, spends two years in a Japanese prison of war camp, and survives. He was a feisty kind of guy, and so the Japanese guards really took a lot out on him because they saw it in his eyes and in his actions, his demeanor, and in his words. And they said, we're going to break this guy. And they went after him with a vengeance. Survives the war. He comes back to L.A., and his wife, with whom he had had some uh, challenges with, marital problems, I don't know if he got into drinking at all, so I won't speculate, but he got into things that were harming their marriage. And she told him, you know, I want you to go to a Billy Graham crusade. He goes to the crusade and he finds Messiah, finds the Lord. And then he goes back to Japan to forgive his captors of what they did to him. And from that time to the present, He's been sharing his testimony, at Billy Graham crusades, Greg Lowry crusades, and all kinds of things. Man loves the Lord. And if you hadn't read an article that appeared in the L.A. Daily News or whatever it is, the New York Times. <laughs> we just call it the Daily News by us, aren't okay. The L.A. Times. <laughs> if you read that story and the photograph of him is just this big smile on his face. And Hildebrand, who wrote the book and so on, talks about what he had meant to her. They never met. They only talked on the phone like 75 times or something. And, well, you can read the article in the L.A. Times. And then it said he went to his maker peacefully. (laughs) You know, think about that. His whole life was such a turmoil and he dies peacefully on his bed. Some people go into the presence of God. Some people come to the end of their days that way. Some people don't. Some people come to the end of their days in very hard deaths, as we know. But one thing is certain. We're all headed in that direction. And the reason for these convincing proofs is so that we can go there boldly. We can go there faithfully. We can go there yielding ourselves to him like Messiah did into your hands. I commend my spirit. Whether it's a crucifixion kind of death or whether it's an easy segue into the next life. These convincing proofs are not just intellectually significant. They're meant to radically change how we live and how we die. And so when Luke writes and says our faith is a credible faith, the question we have to ask ourselves, is it credible for us? Do we bear the things that we bear with courage and in the presence of God, with God's presence and by his strength? Do we face those good times, not looking at ourselves and saying, look what I've accomplished, but look what God has graced me with and enabled me to do. Ours is a credible faith that is meant to sustain us in hard times and meant to enable us to enjoy good times by his grace. But it's not just a credible faith Luke also focuses on it is a personal faith. Three times he'll or I shouldn't say three times, but he mentions all persons of the triune God. We said today, hear, O Israel, Shema Israel, I deny Adonai I deny Echad. And I spoke about the word Echad, we've talked about it many times, how it is a word that denotes not singularity, but unity. And when you read the first chapter you'll see the unity the Ahudness of God references made to Yeshua who was with us for 40 days giving us these convincing proofs of his messiahship we read of will you at this time restore the kingdom of God to Israel And Yeshua says, it is in the Father's hands as to when that kingdom will emerge. So we have the triune echad God. Messiah, who is God come in the flesh. We have the Father made reference to. And of course, we would be immersed. We would be filled by the Holy Spirit. Wait in Jerusalem for him. Our faith is not like any other faith on this planet. The Hindus are a faith that is founded in mythology. Nobody sees human beings with elephant heads. This is like Greek, Roman mythology. I know there's more to their faith, but it's mythological in essence and in nature. Buddhism is a religion of philosophical Interest it tells us how we can better live, or at least thinking it might be a better way to understand our world. It's a philosophical religion. Islam is a discipline religion. There's no personal relationship with Allah. It's a relationship that has to do with how often you pray, how often you make pilgrimage, and how often. You do bad things to people. It's a religion about discipline, not a religion about a relationship with God. Unfortunately, in many of Christian circles, that's what Christianity has devolved into. Not a faith of personal significance, but merely traditions and trappings to observe. And so people pat themselves on the back because every Sunday they're in service or they stand or kneel at the right times or sing the right songs. That is not what was intended by Messiah's coming. Messiah's coming was intended to enable us to have a personal relationship with the living God. And so the triune echad God wants us to have communion with him so that we see Yeshua in our midst. Not in the same exact way the apostles did here, but we see him. We interact with him. We follow him. We don't just think wisely, we follow his wisdom and his directing and his directions. We encounter the living God and we address him as our father. That's a personal term of endearment. And thus our faith is not only to be credible... But it's meant to be personal, in which he is engaged in every moment, in every facet, every decision, every thing that our life has to deal and to do with. It is a, a faith that has the very presence of God dwelling within us. Empowering us. Gifting us. And manifesting himself in and through us. So our faith is to be dynamic. It's to be personal, it's to be real, it's to be genuine, it's to be transformative. It's to make us be different than we might otherwise be when we didn't know him. But too often that is not the case, right? Too often our faith is spoken about, not personally expressed, enjoyed, lived, and manifested. But the faith about with which Luke is going to unfold for us through the work of these different followers throughout the book is not only a credible faith, it's not only meant to be a personal faith, but it's meant to be a faith that reaches out to the community around us. It's to be an impacting faith. It's to be a kind of faith that becomes desired by others. That's why he tells us, and we say it here every Shabbat, that we are to be his witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the uttermost parts of the earth. So the big question is, when was the last time you were a witness for him to the ends of the earth? When is the last time you told someone about Messiah? When's the last time you enabled someone to hear of his love for them? I mean, we just kind of go through our lives so narcissistically, so self-focused, and we forget the Lord has given us a commission to go into all the world, to be my witnesses. You know, and that struck me when I was reading this because we conduct our lives the way we think we ought to the way our emotions may sometimes dictate us to, but we are not our witnesses of the faith. We are his witnesses. People are to see him through us. So it's no question when someone might say, how is it this person believes when, and you fill in the blank, when they behave this way or look that way or talk about these things. I'm not looking to judge anyone, but I'm concerned that we are thinking about being his witnesses. We are sort of like his reputation is in our hands. So when people see us, will they have a good thinking about Messiah? Are we giving him a good reputation about his goodness and kindness? You know what that's like when you speak about family or friends. You want people to think kindly and well of them, and you think of their reputation by what you say about them, how you behave in relation to them. This is what I think we're being told here. We're his witnesses. And so we want to make sure that when people engage us about the faith or see us, that we're giving a good reputation to him. And we're truly his witnesses, not our own. But not only is our faith to be credible, not only is our faith to be personal, not only is our faith to be outreaching, I don't know how else to put that, or looking outward. But our faith is also to be a hopeful one. I love the way this section ends. Yeshua is on the top of the Mount of Olives. The disciples are gathered around him, and he just starts going up in the air, you know, ascending. Sort of like Elijah, although he didn't have a chariot of angels leading him up into the heavens. But like Elijah, and I think the imagery is meant to be paralleled, He ascends into the very presence of God. I love the way the King James has it because it says a cloud received him out of their sight. Because there's the Shekinah glory, right? The visible manifestation of God in a localized place. And so God is receiving his son, the Messiah of Israel, for his work has now come. His work on earth has now come to an end. And now he's seated at the right hand of the father and through his spirit works in us, which is how we started talking about this section. But as he ends up, as he ascends into the very presence of God, they're just standing there, gazed, dumbfounded. Any one of us would be. And two men, angels appear. I just think it is so ironic. They say, what are you looking at? (laughs) You know, like you shouldn't be amazed by this well, we've just never seen this happen before. Sorry, but, you know. And they say the same Yeshua, not a different one, not a similar one, but the very same person is going to come in like manner. He's going to return in the very same way that he went. He's going to return visibly. That's how he left. He ascended visibly. He'll return visibly. He's going to return. I'm just coming up with words here. So you take out his thesaurus. He's going, to, he's going to come genuinely. I mean, he's genuinely going to be among us once again. He's going to come really. It's going to really be him who's going to be here. He's going to come geographically. He's coming to this particular place. He's not just coming spiritually. He's not coming in some non-physical way. The same Yeshua whom you have been with three years plus these 40 days, whatever. The one you saw go into the heavens. He is coming again from the heavens. And therefore your work is never done till he comes but also he will come. And therefore, we have a hope and a purpose. One day, whatever we do comes to an end, but not our work in the Lord. Because when he comes, we will be restored and we will be brought into the fullness of all that Messiah had intended for us to enjoy when he establishes his kingdom. So our faith is a hopeful faith. It's a faith that should be full of hope because Messiah one day will come. He might come in our day and age. As John concludes the Bible, even so come Lord Yeshua. As we look at the book of Acts, this is what jumps out at me through these pages. That our faith is credible, we ought not to doubt it, but we ought to manifest it in all kinds of circumstances because it will stand the tests of whatever it is put to. It is not only a credible faith, it's a personal faith. We are to engage the living God. And we are to connect with him. We are to be one with him, even as he and the Father are one. May they be one. And we're joined to him. Our faith is to be a faith that is outward-looking and not only inwardly looking. Not just what we can get out of it. What can God do for me? How can I be whatever it is? But the Lord wants us to be his witnesses to others. And our faith is a hopeful faith because Messiah is coming again. I think these ideas were on the hearts and minds of the individuals we'll read about in this book and why they were able to accomplish many of the things they accomplished because these things were genuinely a part of their faith and a part of their experience. That's what I want. That's why I gave my life to the Lord some 40-some-odd years ago was I wanted to know, Lord, and that was my prayer, Yeshua, Messiah, if you are truly the Messiah, show me and I'll believe. I was looking for credibility. And it's that which I, you just don't look for, but it's that which sustains you. I was looking for a personal relationship with the living God. My Catholic friend said he knew God personally. And he knew him like Abraham and David. I was really offended. These Jewish men, how can this Catholic guy know God through, like these Jewish men of my ancestors. And I craved to know God personally, too. I certainly was concerned about my family and those around me when I invited the Lord into my life. The first people I told were my parents. It may not have been the wisest thing to do at the time. But, you know, that's been my heart throb from that moment to the present. That's not to say I'm always thinking about others. I think of myself more often than I should. But I really want to make a difference in the lives of others. To love my neighbor as myself. There are other ways to make a living, believe me, that one does not get as prematurely gray as I have. I'm only 35. (laughs) There are other ways, believe me. But God had placed something in my heart to minister to others. I'll never forget when I was in the office of the president of the American Board of Mission to the Jews, some of you know him, Harold Sevner, and he said to me, if you could do anything you want, what would you want to do? I said, I want to tell other people, I want to tell Jewish people the good news. In my yearbook, I didn't even know this because I never went to my graduation. I didn't have any photographs or anything like that. But in my yearbook, everybody had to pick something. And I was looking at it. I didn't even remember this. But in my yearbook, you know, you put like your favorite phrase, you know. Mine was from Philippians. Consider others better than yourselves. And I thought, you know, and here God has led me to attempt to minister to others. You know, he was working on my heart. It was just manifesting itself. But I want to see others come into the kingdom of God. I haven't been privileged to lead a lot of people to faith gift of evangelism is not really my thing, but that doesn't stop me from the yearning and praying and sharing as often as I can, because I want to see others in the kingdom. And when I invite the Lord into my life, I think back, I certainly wanted hope. I was a young person in great despair. I didn't know it at the time, but I know it now. But from that point on, I wanted my life to be a life of hopefulness. And that's what the book of Acts is all about. These guys are doing the things they do because they know how credible and what God has done for them. They're concerned for others. They know God personally, and they're looking forward to his return, for it is in him they've placed their hope. That's what I want for us here at Beth Ariel. You know, it took 11 guys, as Paul writes, to turn the world upside down. Well... We've got a lot more guys and gals to turn L.A. upside down for the glory of God. Father in heaven, we thank you for this morning. We're grateful for your word. What a joy it is to take a glimpse into it. And Father, we thank you for your spirit's presence to instruct us in it. So help us, Lord, to live our life in light of these things. And, Father, may you enable us to do that because, left to ourselves, we are weak and we're not able to do just that. So, Lord, we place ourselves before you. Guide us, direct us, lead us as you see fit. And we give you all praise for your great love toward us. In Yeshua's name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to our message. We hope that it serves to encourage you in your walk with the Lord and your service to Him. Do remember us in your prayers, and if you are able to provide a financial donation to Beth Ariel whether large or small, would you prayerfully consider sending a gift in support of our ministry? You can donate online through our website at BethAriel.org. That is spelled B-E-T-H-A-R-I-E-L.org.